I'd like to begin by asking you all a question. It's a bit blunt and abrupt, but I hope you'll forgive me for that. The question is this, who are you? As you sit there, have a think for a moment. How would you introduce yourself to a stranger? How would you describe yourself to someone wanting to get to know you? Just who are you? I guess I'd start with my name. Hi, I'm Andrew. I would probably then move on to my job. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm a church minister. a minister at the Baptist Church. And then I might move on to things that I'm proud of about myself. I live on Isla and I'm learning the Gaelic. I'm a cyclist and a runner. I'm a trumpet player, etc. That is one way to start describing yourself. But there is another one. Rather than just describing your own personal attributes, you can describe yourself in relation to other people. Hi, I'm Andrew, husband of Emily, son of Tony and Christine, brother to Michael, friend of the late Jim McNulty, student of Spurgeon's College, reader of Charles Dickens, supporter of Wickham Wanderers. Can you see, that way of describing yourself is quite different, isn't it? Both sets of information are fully correct, but they are very different in tone. When you describe yourself in relation to another, the emphasis is all on them rather than yourself. You are stressing their importance rather than your own. Of course, the most important description of myself comes in this second form. Hi, I'm Andrew, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and child of God. So who are you? How would you describe yourself? Today is the last Sunday in Advent, the season when we prepare ourselves to celebrate the arrival of Jesus into the world. 2,000 years ago, there was a man whose job was to help the people do precisely the same thing. His name was John the Baptist. John lived out in the desert, yet people were flocking from nearby towns and villages to go and hear him speak. His message was both a challenge and a comfort. The challenge was that Israel had sinned. They'd lost their way and turned their back on God. They'd become apathetic in faith and were ignoring God's word in order to pursue their own desires. This needed to stop. They needed to repent. Confession and recommitment were urgently required. Yet the comfort in John's message was this. God was about to act. He was about to fulfil all the great promises of old and come to rescue his people. This twin message of challenge and comfort was causing an absolute furore. Hundreds of people were travelling out to the desert to confess their sins and request a clean start through the dramatic act of baptism. Through his ministry, John really was creating a scene. Now, of course, the powers that be in the land were unsettled by all of this. The religious elite in Jerusalem were particularly uncomfortable. Why on earth were the people flocking to a stranger in the desert rather than to them in the temple? So with increasing annoyance, the Jewish leaders send out a delegation to interrogate John. They had one very pointed question to ask. Who are you? Now, due to the nature of John's ministry, he wanted the religious leaders to be in no doubt as to the answer to that question. So he starts to give them a very clear explanation. First of all, he declares who he is not. I am not the Messiah, he says in verse 20. 
Neither am I Elijah back from the dead or the great prophet promised to Moses centuries ago. Now at first, John's denials here leave the delegation from the Jewish authorities a little bamboozled. This man clearly has a dramatic ministry. God is at work here, but he is not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. So who on earth is he? What are they to tell the priests and rulers back in Jerusalem? So they ask the question again. Who are you? This time John changes tack and gives a very positive answer, stating clearly who he is and what he had come to do. Verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. John quotes a much-loved promise from the Old Testament, a promise that the people had cherished for centuries. God had promised to bring comfort to his people in their distress by arriving among them personally. Isaiah 45 says, The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it. But just before that day came, there would be a man calling out in the desert, urging the people to get ready, preparing their hearts for God's arrival. Isaiah said it would be a ministry akin to building a highway through the wilderness for the Lord to enter swiftly in upon. John says, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. God is coming very soon and I'm trying to get as many people ready as possible. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now I want us to go back to our opening illustration and notice what is going on here. By this time, John is having a really successful ministry. Hundreds of people are travelling long distances to hear God's word. Many of them are being cut to the heart by it and getting baptised as a result. John was clearly a very powerful and influential figure, a great preacher, a religious celebrity in his own right. But notice, when he is asked who he is, he mentions none of this. Instead, he points away from himself and defines himself solely in relation to another. Who am I? I am the one preparing the way for the Lord. He is the one to focus on. I'm just the forerunner. He is the one to be emphasised and built up. I'm just the preparer of the way. Can you see? John knows he is fulfilling an important part in God's plan, but in the grand scheme of things, he is a nobody. In fact, in comparison to Jesus, he is less than a slave. In verse 26, we read these incredibly humble words. I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not unworthy to untie. In the ancient world, only slaves untied people's sandals. After walking around in the dust and dirt all day, sandals became covered in filth. To remove someone else's shoes was a really menial task. It stained your hands and clothes in the process. It was then the work of the lowest of the low. John says, I am even less than these slaves who untie the shoes of their masters. I am nothing compared to the one who is to come after me. Who am I? I am John, the forerunner to Jesus. Do not define me by my own strengths. I am not worthy of your attention. All your focus must be put on him. 
This then leads us to the most important question I want to ask tonight. The question John the Baptist wanted to help his listeners answer as well. We need to ask the question, who is Jesus? John the Baptist is bending over backwards to take the attention off of himself and put it all on Jesus instead. And in the verses that make up the rest of our reading, we learn three very important things about who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, he is the Lamb of God, and he is the giver of the Holy Spirit. Let's take one at a time. In verse 20, John had confessed freely to the delegation sent from Jerusalem that he was not the Messiah, but he found out who was. In Hebrew, the term Messiah has a very specific meaning. It means the anointed one of God. In Greek, this term is translated Christ. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. He would be anointed with a special portion of God's spirit in order that he might carry out God's will. And what was John's testimony in verse 32 when he baptised Jesus? I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came down on particular individuals to help them complete a few particular tasks. The Spirit would come, they would prophesy or lead or create something beautiful for the Lord, and then the Spirit would go again. But John saw the Spirit come and remain on Jesus. Jesus was different because the whole of his life was endowed and facilitated by the Spirit. His teaching, his miracles, his resistance of the devil, all done in the power of the Spirit. Jesus was the anointed one of God. Jesus was the Messiah. And when John baptised him, he saw the evidence of this fact. In the Old Testament, the Messiah was said to be the king in David's line. He would overthrow all his people's enemies and rule over Israel. Indeed, he would reign over the whole world forevermore. Jesus is this Messiah. In the Old Testament, the Messiah was the one who bring justice to earth. Do you see in verse 34 where John speaks of Jesus as the chosen one? That title comes from a prophecy about the Messiah in Isaiah 42 which speaks of him bringing justice to the nations, tending to the oppressed and the vulnerable. Indeed, in the Messiah, all the islands will put their hope appropriate to us here on Isla. Jesus is this Messiah. The Messiah is the one all Israel's hopes rested upon. He would rescue them and set them free, defeat their enemies and bring peace, tend to the broken and make justice reign. And he'd do all of this in the power of of the Holy Spirit. John says this is who Jesus is and there is no one more important than him. The second title John the Baptist uses for Jesus is equally significant. Verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. I'd like you to cast your mind back to the Old Testament. In Genesis, there is a dramatic story of God testing Abraham. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. It was a test of his faith. Just at the moment when Abraham was preparing to do such a dramatic act, the Lord stopped him 
and showed him a ram caught in a thicket. He was to sacrifice that instead. It was a substitute that saved a much-loved child. In Exodus, there is the story of the Jews enslaved in Egypt. God had tried everything to convince Pharaoh to let them go, but he has stubbornly refused. Eventually, God is left with no option. He orders a final great plague, a plague of death on all firstborn sons. That night, the Jews were told to sacrifice a lamb and paint its blood on the doors of their houses. When the destroying angel saw the blood, it would pass over their homes, leaving their firstborn safe. The following morning, when Pharaoh awoke to find all the firstborn sons of Egypt dead, he finally let God's people go. In that story, the lamb was sacrificed in order to deliver God's people from all that bound and oppressed them. Then in Isaiah 53, there is a remarkable prophecy. God would send a servant who would suffer on behalf of his people. He would not complain, but go to his death quietly, like a lamb to the slaughter. Through his death, all the sins of the people would be wiped clean, their transgressions taken away. In the prophecy, the sacrificial lamb makes the people right again with God. All of these stories and prophecies were ingrained in the minds of the Jews. They knew them off by heart. They defined their identity as God's people. John the Baptist rolls all three into one in this title, the Lamb of God, the one who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the one who will take our place so we can enjoy life evermore as God's precious children. Jesus is the one who will set us free from all that imprisons us. Jesus is the one who will wash our stains away. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the bringer of God's forgiving and transforming love. No one else can do this. That is why John will do all he can to direct people to him. For we cannot save ourselves. We cannot atone for our sin. It is much too serious for that. We need the Lamb of God. So who is Jesus? He is the Messiah and he is the Lamb of God. There is one final thing that John wants to say. He is also the giver of the Holy Spirit. John says this about Jesus in verse 33. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I want to take you back to the Old Testament one final time. The most sacred day in the Jewish calendar was called the Day of Atonement. It was the day that the Jews ritually cleansed the temple of God. And they did this through animal sacrifices and washing and, and personal fasting. Why was it so important? Because God's personal presence could only come to reside in the temple if it was pure. God is holy, so his place of residence needs to be spotless. The same is true for us. God's great plan was to come and live within his people. From there he could guide and protect them, inspire and lead them. From within, God would navigate us all the way to eternity. But God could only come to reside within us if our hearts were pure. 
That is why it is only after the Lamb of God has died on the cross and cleansed our hearts through his shed blood that the Holy Spirit could be sent down on all those who believed. The Holy Spirit is God's very life and breath within us. With the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have become walking temples of God. Jesus makes the way for the Spirit and he pours the Spirit out. We all need the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. John says that Jesus is the only one who can give the Spirit to us. So this is who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One of God. He is the Lamb of God, and he is the giver of the Holy Spirit. No wonder John does everything he can to give Jesus the attention. No wonder he seeks to describe himself, not from his own strengths, but in relation to this chosen one. I started this sermon by asking us all a question. Who are you? As Christians, our number one description when asked that question is that we are followers of Jesus and children of God. We're defined not in our own merit, but in relation to someone infinitely greater than ourselves. As we celebrate Christmas this coming week, let us truly remember who it is that has come into the world. Jesus is the Messiah we need to save us from despair and defeat all our enemies. The one who will bring the justice and peace we crave for when we turn on the news. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the one who can forgive all of our sin and rescue us from our guilt and shame and regret. Jesus is the giver of the Holy Spirit. If we put our faith in him, we receive God himself into our lives to encourage and guide and strengthen us. The Spirit will transform us for good from the inside out and lead us to glory. May we prepare ourselves to welcome this Jesus once more. Through prayer and worship, confession and repentance, let us bow before the coming King.